Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Lucas. I got Uri here as my co-host today and producer because uh, sadly Chris is not with us at this time. And we have a very special guest. We would like to welcome for the first time Kevin McCormick, beat writer of 97.3 ESPN and podcaster of the Liberty Line. Kevin, how are you doing this, this Sunday afternoon, man? Doing good, guys. Uh, we've survived winter. It looks like the, the spring weather is finally here, at least in Philly. So happy to be on. Glad to have you on, man, for sure. We, uh, we are excited to talk Sixers with you today, of course. And uh, you're right. You want to bring in the first subject? Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, again, welcome to the Sixers Sense podcast. And not only do we have good weather coming our way, we have these Sixers wins that keep piling up. Obviously, last night, the Sixers came out on top versus the Kings. Of course, there was no Ben Simmons. There was no Joel Embiid. But I tell you what, guys, the bench and some of the guys who don't get as as much time as, as normal, they're stepping up. So I think we'll start off. Let's just recap the Kings game and let's head Kevin's way. Kevin, what were your thoughts about the Sixers win versus the Kings last night? I thought it was a great win and all. Obviously, like you said, with no Embiid, Curry, and Simmons, it pretty much is built for the Sixers to have just a, a really rough night, but it actually went the complete opposite way. They looked like the team that weren't down three starters, but great game from the supporting cast. Shake Milton had a really nice game. He was due for that. Hopefully he can continue to build on this play because they're really going to need him in this upcoming stretch. And then obviously the biggest thing, Tobias Harris, he continues to just put on time and time again. The way he's played after being snubbed from the all-star team has just been incredible. This kind of revenge tour that he's going on has been so fun to watch and he's really put on some strong performances and then just another really solid game from the centers which is great because replacing Joel Embiid is no small task but what Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard have done in his absence has been about as good a job as you can do the fact that Tony Bradley's been able to come in and insert himself into the starting lineup after really not seeing much time this season outside of rare garbage time games He's played really well. He defends well at the rim. He's rolling harder than the pick and roll. Him and Seth Curry had a really nice thing going before Seth went down. So, And Dwight Howard, he continues to just do his thing, racked up another double-double. It just He continues to show how much of a steal he was in the offseason, getting him at the vet minimum. But overall, the team just continues to show great fight. I would say in past years, this is a game they typically lose. But I don't know what it is, whether it's Doc Rivers or just the new faces, you know, within the organization that this team night in and night out continues to show fight. No matter what the circumstances are, they continue to remain competitive. So all in all, just great game. I absolutely agree. I think you made I think you made some very strong points there, Kevin. I would like to read off a stat line of a, a 
an unnamed player, and I want you guys to guess who this was. 16 points, 5 of 14 shooting, 0 of 4 from downtown, four assist, 6 assists, but 2 turnovers, minus 23. Can you guys guess who that was? Uh, Tony it was Brad? the Aaron Fox. Oh, uh, guess who right. was the primary defender on Fox for this game? Thibel. Thibel, that's right, guys. Thibel is uh, continuing his tear defensively. Offensively, he's still making very smart decisions. Three of six from the field, two of four from the three-point line. He's being very selective in his three-point shots, and he's finally becoming efficient. This has been probably one of the longer stretches of his short career of efficient shooting. I can't be more proud. Like you said, Bradley is playing very good as a you know plug-in starter. I think he is playing himself into a decent payday coming up in free agency. And I would not be surprised if a young team looking for a center, either a, you know, a borderline starter or a really good backup would overpay for Bradley. I mean, like if I was a GM, I'd be half tempted to. Um, Harris, like you said, he was two assists shy of a triple-double. And they were trying to get those two assists. Doc Rivers was really trying to get him those two assists. Milton has been up and down this season. Good game from him. Would like to see more high volume and more, you know, the three-point shot is really what's been hurting him this season, the lack of it. It, it was there last year, but it, it isn't here this year. Don't know why. A shout-out, uh, one other thing, shout-out to Rajon Tucker for finally making his Sixers debut. Good for him. Um, but besides that, yeah, no, the team – you know, looked like they were the ones that had a full healthy starting five and Danny Green came out with a really good game too. Can't complain about Green. So yeah, that's those are my thoughts on it anyway. Yeah, Danny Green did not get a D this time for the game. He's he's so up and down, but when he looks good, he looks like the player that we need, which is someone that can knock down three pointers on a consistent basis. Of course, Matisse, I know you guys have seen that replay where he blocked the Aaron Fox and saved the ball, did a behind the back save before it went out of bounds, he is just really turning into the player that we, we'd hoped he would be at this young stage of his career. Obviously, he's not going to be a starter yet, but he is contributing. I think the one player I want to emphasize is Shake Milton. And you're right, Lucas. He did not make many threes last night, and recently he's not as prolific as we would hope he would be as the bench player, the sixth man. But he went to the foul line, guys, 11 times last night. And I think mm-hmm. that is a, a really good sign, especially once we get into the playoffs and things slow down. And if the Sixers start to sputter in their offensive half-court set, getting to the line is, is going to be crucial because nobody else on the bench can, I think, do what he does. Yeah, and just to piggyback off your Milton point, if yeah. he can do that consistently, get about maybe eight foul shots a game, that's going to put the Sixers in a really good spot because he, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid are the only ones that can get to the can force themselves to the foul line because Harris doesn't do it. But yeah, no, that's a good sign for sure. But it's transitioning to our next topic. We're going to talk about the Sixers being one of the top defensive teams in the league. What do you think the reason, Kevin, is behind their really good defense this year versus last year, which last year's team was supposed to be a defensive juggernaut, and it was it was good, but it wasn't. I would say this year's team is much better. So what, what do you think is the reason behind that? I'd have to say there's a couple different factors. Obviously, the first one is when you have players like Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Matisse Thibault in your rotation, you're, you're just going to be a very good defensive team just because those are guys that really pride themselves on that side of the ball. The other key factor I would have to say is Doc Rivers bringing in Dan Burke. He has been known as a defensive guru. He's been in the league for ages now, and his impact has really been shown at times. But the biggest thing I would have to say is guys just buying in to playing on that side of the ball. I think it's a little easier when your star players like Simmons and Embiid are really bought in, but we've seen a lot of guys drastically improve their defensive game from previous seasons. Tobias Harris is one that stands out. Shake Milton mm-hmm. as well. Furkan Korkmaz even at times has done really well defensively so I think that having star players like Simmons and Embiid who put in that much effort and pride themselves on that side of the ball has made it a lot easier for the guys under them to buy in it and they've really just built this culture of just wanting to hang their hat on defense. So guys let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Sense podcast is sponsored by Manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. 
Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. Yeah, I, I would say that everything you said is, is something that a lot of people are thinking, and and kudos to you for uh, singling out the coaching staff. And that's definitely something that has made a huge difference from last year to this year. I think the one thing I could say about the defense this year is the younger players understanding their role, getting more time to play together, and to learn from some really great defensive veterans like uh, obviously, Dwight Howard and Danny Green. I know I sing his praises probably more than I should on this podcast, but Matisse Thibel, when he's out there, and particularly with him and Simmons, when they're out there together, they are probably, and I'll go, I'll go national with this if I have to. I'd say they're the best defensive backcourt in the entire league. I, I, I can't wait. I can't I wait think. to the playoffs. I like I it. Can't, I can't wait to the playoffs because all these people talking about Brooklyn and yeah, Brooklyn is, I mean, they have three hall of famers locked in, but in the playoffs, if you put Thibel out there and Simmons as your backcourt, man, it's not going to be easy for Durant, Harden or Kyrie. So I, I think Thibel Don't is a difference maker. Danny Green either. Danny Green's no scrub on the defensive end, despite his uh, advanced age. That, that's true. I, I've seen Green get beat too many times for me. I, I don't expect he, him to be. Defense, though, is still pretty good. It is pretty good, but, I, but when you put him on a team with Thibel and Simmons, oh, he I looks mean, like he looks like he. Well, nobody's going to look good defensively when you got those two guys sharing yeah, the back. I mean, yeah. come on now. You're right. Don't You're right, Lucas. That. I got. I got. I have to give him credit. He he does play play good defense. But yeah, I think um, all the reasons that Kevin said. What do you think, Lucas? Well, I think partially, I mean, you had last year, you had you know, Al Horford playing power four. That's that's not going to be winning most times. Uh, you know, obviously the personnel fits better. And I want to go to Dan Burke here for a second. Dan Burke was with the Pacers for a very long time. He he and Roy Hibbert came up with the vertical verticality. I forget the actual term for it, but it was vertical defense where you can go straight up to block a shot and it worked. And that stopped my, that almost stopped Miami in the playoffs a few times in the early 2010s. So Dan Burke has been an innovative innovator defensively. We've seen how he's impacted Thibault Simmons, Joel at a higher level than some of these other guys. But overall, like you said, team defense is definitely the key here. I think we can all agree you don't want to see Cork Maz playing, you know, significant minutes in the playoffs, but his defense went from blah to mad now. And I think that's a big improvement in the grand scheme of things if you think about it. I'm going to go ahead and switch gears here. We're going to talk about the bench because we're talking about bench players. And particularly the bench since the All-Star break, Kevin, they have been looking so much better even before the injuries to Ben and Joel and Curry, they were playing very good. The bench unit was usually Scott, Milton, Corkmaz, uh, Matisse, and uh, Dwight. So what what do you think has clicked for that second unit uh, after the All-Star break? I would have to say the first thing is just getting that week off. This was a bench unit that had a really tough stretch of weeks, starting when they went out west that first time, just... When Shake Milton went down, the bench unit had really hard times just creating offense and getting good looks, and it showed greatly. And it cost them a lot of leads at times, but 
I think getting that week off, and then when you're thinking about it, when they come back from the All-Star break, they have those first handful of games without either Embiid, Simmons, or both. And now with Embiid out for even longer times, there's just more shots to go around. And I think having those first couple games out of the break where they got some nice blowout wins and guys got to put some really nice play under their belt to start that second half, I think they just kind of rode the momentum. Furkan Korkmaz has really been hot shooting the ball from deep. Same thing with Matisse Thibault. Talked about earlier, Dwight Howard's really turned back the clock. So I think just getting that week off and really getting to press the reset button has helped them get refocused, re-engaged, and guys just really got to come into this second half of the season off on the right foot. I think that's an interesting point about the guys getting some rest and being able to maybe reflect on the first half of the season. My angle for this particular question, I think I'm going to take the rotation perspective because Mm -hmm. the one thing that Doc Rivers does differently from Brett Brown last year is you think about how he, he tried to stagger and keep either Simmons or Embiid on the floor at all times last year versus this year, Doc will sit both his stars and put all of his bench players out there. Now, he might have Tobias out there to be the offensive anchor, but Thibel, uh, Milton, Korkmaz, those three guys, and then Howard, they all seem to get good stretches of minutes together, whether they're <laughs> looking great or whether they're kind of stinking up the joint. I think all those minutes they play together – it builds continuity. It builds confidence as a collective unit. So I think the bench is definitely benefiting from that short break, like Kevin said. But I also think that having them play substantial minutes together due to Doc's rotation really distinguishes them now versus pre-All-Star break. Yeah, no, I I, I tend to agree. I think continuity with the bench unit because for the beginning of the year first off there wasn't a long training camp so most of these the new guys like dwight maxi it's a good point um, they didn't really get a good time to work in to the rotation and learn how to play with each other so i think throughout the season outside of injuries because you know we milton missed some time cork moss missed some time to begin the year so not having a consistent rotation where you have a rookie maxi and i think we all love maxi and he has a great potential in the future but he's still a rookie he still has his errors and one of them is that he's still not a, he's not a super dynamic playmaker yet and we saw that when milton was out and he's not a really guy that you can count on to stretch the floor. And we saw that when Korkmaz was out. So I think, and I'm not trying, this is not to, you know, bash on Maxi, but at the same time, once you got all those guys healthy and Matisse actually wasn't really in the rotation to begin the season either. Cause he was dealing with uh, coming back from an injury. So yeah, you were missing your three headed monster off the bench at different points to begin the year. And now they're all healthy. So I think that's the big difference here. I think health is the main difference here. Yeah. Well, We hope that the bench and the defensive uh, play of the Sixers continues post-All-Star break, and hopefully uh, we'll keep that number one spot. But let's move on to a different topic. And this topic, we talked about this before, Lucas, and that was the rumors that Philly hometown guy Kyle Lowry might be on the trade block with the chance of coming to the Sixers. Now, the thing is, is... There was there was rumors that he was available, and then they tried to shut it down. And now just recently, last week, Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, he said that the Sixers could be a likely trade destination for Kyle Lowry. He, was, he said this on his own podcast. So my question to you, Kevin, is this. If the deal is done and Lowry is brought to Philadelphia, what do you think the Sixers would have to give up to get him? From a monetary standpoint, you're talking at least Danny Green, Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, maybe even one more contract just to from a salary matching perspective. Mm-hmm. And then to compensate them further, I'm, we're talking Tyrese Maxey and at least one pick. So it's going to be a deep price, mainly because of his $30 million price tag on his contract. But with the way it's going and the East kind of being wide open right now, I feel like if you can get a deal done, you really have to do it. I got something similar like that, Kevin. I wrote about the uh, potential Lowry package before, and I believe it was Green, Scott. It was either Ferguson or Poirier. I I think now 
And I can't remember exactly which player that I would go, but I would go Poirier now just because the center position for the Raptors are very thin, so they could use a guy like Poirier. And then uh, it would have I would throw in Maxi there too. I think Maxi's probably the one touchable, you know, uh, guy that you could throw in. And plus, he makes the most money out of like the three. Well, actually, I think Matisse makes a little bit more, but I think Matisse is almost untouchable right now. Unless you're getting like a superstar in return, and Lowry's not that anymore, and not to say that he's not good. So it would be that. And I wrote two first round picks because um, I saw recently that the Heat are really trying to keen in on Lowry. So unless the Heat throw in Tyler Hero, which I think we all can say they probably won't, then the Sixers have more draft compensation, which will help them get. Lowry over the heat, but it would have to be more than one pick. It would be this year's pick and probably 2023 lottery protected. If it's not converted, turns into two seconds type deal. That's what I think would get it done. But yeah, it's not, it's the Sixers are going to overpay people. They're going to have to overpay because honestly, the Raptors don't have to trade him. They could probably resign him in the off season if they wanted to. If the only way he they trade him is if he asks, and then the team that he wants to go to is going to have to overpay. So that's 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 where this this goes down to. Sixers are going to have to overpay. We're not going to be happy about it because he's 35 years old, but it's going to be worth it in this season, trying to maximize Joel Embiid's window. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one critical component of a lot of people's opinion is that the window for Embiid is not that huge and the thinking is Lowry coming in with his experience his toughness his shooting being an experienced all-star point guard could put them over the edge which leads us to this next question Kevin does Kyle Lowry if he becomes a 76er does he boost the chances for the Sixers coming out of the east I think so for a couple different reasons one one reason I would say is partially none of his own just because we talked a little bit earlier the way Matisse Thibel has played to start the second half of the season and the way he's been able to defend and shoot the ball from deep almost kind of makes Danny Green expendable. Early on in the season, I wasn't really open to the idea of trading Danny Green again because I thought he was one of those vets that was really going to show his worth in the postseason. But if he has to be the kicker to get Lowry, obviously you do it. And you can roll out a starting lineup of Kyle Lowry, Matisse Thibel, Bice Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, and that is a very solid starting five. And with Lowry's ability to create and work in the pick and roll and stretch the floor, you really have everything you need offensively in transition and in half court. So Matisse Thibel could essentially become like a Tony Allen-type player for that starting unit and just to be out there and be that bulldog on defense. And like we know, Brooklyn is the team that they're chasing right now. So if you roll out that starting lineup, you could have Kyle Lowry, who is no slouch on the defensive end himself. You know, he's a pest. He's going to get in guys' heads. So if you could throw him on Kyrie Irving, and then Preach. you can have Matisse Thibel and Ben Simmons guarding James Harden and Kevin Durant, I would say that's about the most ideal scenario you could get in terms of really having the defensive prowess to slow down that trio. Uh, you, dude, you're, you're preaching to quiet. I've been saying it to these guys for weeks. If we get Lowry, then you have – the personnel to properly match up against the, 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 I was about to say Warriors, the Nets, because Ben Simmons is probably one of the few guys in the league outside of maybe him and Giannis and maybe Draymond Green uh, that can really give KD any sort of problem. Matisse and Harden, that's, I, I like that matchup for Matisse. I think he's going to get in Harden's grill, and Harden does not do well when players get in his grill like that. And then Kyle Lowry, like you said, it's not a slouch. I think didn't he make an all defensive team once? I think I'd, so. I'd have to look. So. It sounds right. Let me let me check this out real quick. But yeah, no, he's he's an upper tier, you know, defender at the point guard position. And granted, he's not very versatile, but he can guard point guards pretty well. And you know, I wouldn't put it past him. Oh no, so no, he never made an all defensive team. He did make oh, an all NBA okay. team. So, but yeah, no, he's, I mean, he's averaging 1.1 steals per game this season. The guy's legit and the Raptors are falling in the standings rather quickly. So I think now would be the time to strike a deal for sure. And I yeah. think that he does boost the chances for sure. Cause I think, like you said, Kevin, 
he's the one guy that can help make that uh, plausible matchup against Brooklyn actually kind of in the Sixers' favor because the Nets don't have a big that can stop Joel. And unless they sign Andre Drummond, which I'm I'm hearing more likely he's going to Lakers than the Nets. Or And DeMarcus Cousins won't be able to stop Joel, not at this stage in his career, so... Well, I'm yeah. I'm fifty I'm fifty fifty on the Lowry idea, and I, I think the logic of yeah. him coming in with experience, I, I think to help Embiid win sooner than later, I think that that does make sense. But I I wrote about it. I wrote an article about how the team should not be tinkered with in terms of rosters. If you have to give up picks, I'm fine with that. Or players who don't crack the rotation. But like you said, Kevin, that for salary purposes, the Sixers would have to give up someone like a Green or even a Scott. But I, I think in terms of the lineups, I think as constructed now, I would put Matisse Thibel on Kyrie Irving. I think mm-hmm. he can really disrupt his play. Yeah. He's fast enough to keep up. He's quick enough mm-hmm. to recover. He can block his shots. He might even be able to pick his pocket, which would be really hard. But anyway, and then you put Ben on Harden, who has proven that he gives him some fit sometimes. And then Tobias, who is a very underrated defender, I think he could, I mean, no one's going to stop Durant, but he would do, I think, a decent enough job to defend Kevin Durant. So, yeah, I I think we should just leave the team as is. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I'm torn. I would say to, I guess, piggyback onto that rebuttal is early on in the process, one thing I thought was, when you looked at the Sixers team and their major weakness was the bench, there was nothing really about the starting unit that really needed to be messed with. So that was my thing in the beginning with the Lowry discussion was, I don't know if I'm really ready to break up the starting unit because why throw a wrench in a good thing? You know, if it isn't broke, yeah. so yep. that's another with good all the, point. the assets the Sixers had at their disposal with all those contracts at the end of the bench, with the trade exception from the Al Horford deal, with the money they've left in the mid-level exception, Daryl Morey could have re- realistically still revamped this bench before Thursday's deadline. So I was I was very on the fence of going all in for Lowry or just revamping this bench and seeing if you can fill out an entire rotation that could go run out of title. Well, yeah. there, I know it's not on the agenda, agenda, but I do want to bring up one other guy that uh, that has been on the rumor mill recently that I think in the past we all would have said no way, but now I think we have to start considering. And I know Uriah's response to this as soon as I say his name. <laughs> Lonzo Ball. I I think he's proving that he can play with a ball-dominant player now because the way that him and Zion have looked recently, I mean, gosh, I think he can play off the ball with Ben, and I think that would be a really good steal. Now, he doesn't fix your problems as a half-court shot creator, but he definitely fixes your problems as needing another primary, you know, ball handler that can play with the second unit because Milton's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Wait He's a minute. much better than off guard. Hold up, Lucas. You're assuming you know how I feel about Lonzo Ball. Well, wait I, a saw you, I, got, wait, I saw your Twitter response. So but that's wait, how I but know. wait. I got my big baller brand sneakers. I paid $500 <laughs> for them. You, did you and... really? Did you? Re- I would like to see a picture of that after the podcast. I would like to see a picture all right, of this. All right, fine. I, all right, I'm lying. But I just, <laughs> I, I didn't know you saw that tweet, but I, yep. Yeah, I, put I a saw GIF that. Out. I run the website. Of course I see the tweet. Oh, yeah. I, I did the the the, the meme uh, gif of the woman from um, was that movie called Jordan Peele? Um, ah, Get Out. Yeah, it's called Get Out, and the one mom is like, no, 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 and she's just shaking her head, and she looks kind of cynical, crazy. So yeah, I don't I don't like Lonzo Ball a little bit. Lamelo Ball. Now that's the ball I would go after, but <laughs> now Lonzo. No no, nah, I don't want Lonzo. What do you think, Kevin? I could be in on Lonzo Ball, but there's too many factors that just rule me out. I've had him as a dark horse through this whole thing. I don't think it's really realistic. I would say it's more of a pipe dream. But if you think about it from their perspective, in the beginning of the season, maybe you could have got him for pretty cheap with the way his stats were looking. But the way he's performed recently, his price just completely went back up. He's shooting almost 40% from three on almost eight attempts a game, which is unreal. I agree with what Lucas said about his ability to play alongside a creator who has the ball in his hands a lot and that New Orleans has been experimenting with Point Zion. But just I think he's going to have a really steep price because if you think about it, 
He was also a key piece in the Anthony Davis trade. So I think New Orleans is really going to focus on getting good value for him as well, because, you know, as you trickle down, it would essentially be trading Anthony Davis for so-and-so assets. And then the other thing is he hits restricted free agency this summer. And I think the way he's played, if the Pelicans don't give him an extension, another team will. Lonzo Ball is a starting point guard in the league. He is a two-way mm-hmm. point guard. He's improved his shot. He continues to get better every year of his career. And I think a young team who really needs a point guard, whether it's Chicago or New York, is going to throw him an offer sheet north of $90 million. So if the Sixers do trade for Lonzo Ball, I don't see them really matching a big offer sheet for him in the summer. So I don't know if it would, would fit the purpose of using all those assets to acquire him just for him to be a rental. Yeah, that's fair. That's That's a fair point. And like you said, he's playing so well. Maybe the the Hornets. I mean, not not. Sorry, I was thinking of the old Pelicans. Pelican. Yeah, Pelicans. Sorry. Um, maybe the Pelicans don't want to trade him now. You know, that was just that was just an idea that I had. And I think we're going to go ahead and switch uh, topics here. We're going to go to the MVP race. And we talked about this before, guys. But the MVP race is just shaken up again. And let's just go to the question: Is it possible? That if Joel B comes back and he continues his outstanding play, that he could win the award. Kevin, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to be tough, just because even if he does a, a minimal amount of recovery time and comes back, he's going to miss about eight games in this stretch. And if you add that onto the six games he's already missed prior, that's we're already talking fourteen games total. And in a shortened season, that's impactful even more. Not to mention, as the season progresses, he's still going to need to load manage. So. I think losing this big chunk of games is really going to hurt his case. Maybe if the Sixers can remain in first place while he's gone and he comes back and gets back to his dominant self, he might have a shot. But realistically, with all the time missed, I don't know if voters will be willing to hand him the award. Yeah, I'll have to agree. I I would love that Joel would be rewarded for his consistent play, which is we couldn't say that last year for for whatever reason. Embiid kind of had an off year last year. But he, before he got hurt, he was tearing up the league. There was nobody that could stop him. Even against his nemesis with Mark Gasol when they played the Lakers, he had his way with Gasol. So he's shown that he's matured, his skills have been refined, and I think he was on a mission. But until that knee injury happened, he was, a lot of people, not just us on this podcast because we're homers, believed that he was going to be MVP and he was. Now you're right. Us homers never. Oh, especially us. We're called the Sixer sense. What do you, what do you expect? (laughs) Right. So, so I would love for him to get it, but I, I'm going to agree with Kevin. It's going to be really difficult to overlook players. And there's a lot of great play this year from Jokic to LeBron who got hurt, obviously to uh, Damian Lillard. You guys were talking about off air. So um, what do you think, Lucas? Well, um, I'm going to say this. With LeBron being out, there is no clear-cut favorite right now because he's going to be out indefinitely with an ankle injury. And LeBron was the second-place guy, the guy that was going to win in place of Joel. We've already, what has it already been, a week for Joel since he's been out? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been over a week. Mm-hmm. So he only has another week before he can theoretically come back. That being said, um, I think, is it possible? Yes, it just depends on what the rest of the field does. Jokic has the fact that the Nuggets aren't a top four team in the West. Giannis has voter fatigue, and he hasn't done it in the postseason. Me and Kevin both agree on this. Right now, it should be Damian Lillard with Joel and LeBron out. Damian Lillard should be the MVP because the way, what he's doing with Portland is just out of mind-blowing right now, and he, he deserves it for sure. Um, but if Joel comes back and he continues his dominant play, yes, I think – Voters will forget the injury, and it is a weird season, and I think they'll excuse the lack of games for sure to a certain extent, and I think Joel could squeeze out with it for sure. He wouldn't be able to miss any more games, and Mm -hmm. he would have to average over 30, like get stat lines like 35-14 and maybe five assists or something. He would really have to go on a tear. And, and that's the, and, and who and who knows maybe and God forbid any of these other candidates they might get hurt they might miss yeah. some games so you never know yeah for sure like we didn't think LeBron would get hurt because LeBron a minus two seasons ago has been the best Iron Man in the NBA he's a he's a cyborg man that dude <laughs> yeah so this high ankle sprain is kind of a shocker for me personally 
But okay, so it, let's just say in the world that Damian Lillard wins the MVP because LeBron's not going to win it now. And I, I, you know, I think he deserves it most of all just because of what he's do, been doing in Portland, what he's doing in Portland this season. Let's just say, you know, Joel doesn't get the MVP trophy. Will it, and what type of added motivation will it give him for the postseason, Kevin? I don't know if it would give him much more just because I feel like this season, Joel Embiid has been more motivated, arguably, than he's ever been in previous mm-hmm. years. I would say them getting bounced in the first round last year, the way they did, was kind of the kicker for him. Just the way they got swept by Boston, I think it really lit a fire under this group. Granted, there's been a lot of change since then, but some the key guys have still been here. You can tell Tobias, Ben, Joel, there is like an anger to them, and Joel has really taken it out on the floor this year, so... I don't know if losing the MVP award would, you know, gain or it might a little bit, you know, he might want to go on a little bit of a revenge tour if he comes back in time and can be in the conversation. But this is a guy in Joel Embiid who, since his career started, he just wants to be great. He wants to be successful. He said it a million times. All he wants to do is win. And we've known it. When you go back to when Kawhi hit that shot against, or when Kawhi hit the shot, in game seven and well was sobbing and the internet tried to clown him to me all that said is this is a guy that just wants it so bad he has been all in from day one so in terms of motivation i think he's more than motivated for the postseason because at the end of the day this team has said it time and time again all they want to do is win they're chasing that title and the sooner he can get back and put on the better you know right. what I, I i i i don't mean to jump in uriah but yeah i i do have to say this I think, and I want to say this before you say your point, because I think it'll help your point here. I think if he doesn't get the regular season MVP trophy, he'll shoot for the finals MVP trophy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But go ahead, Uriah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, if he gets to the finals, he'll want to get that that special award that, you know, it, it says a lot about his leadership. If you look at past finals MVP recipients like Jordan and, and Kobe Andre and players Gallo. like that. Yeah, he he would whoa. Whoa. He did. Total, he did. Yeah, but did. you can't put Iguodala in the same sentence as I Michael know, Jordan, I man. Know, I know. I know. Oh my goodness. Homer. I'm done. How I'm dare done. you? But anyway. All right. So Kevin earlier he said he would have a little more motivation. I'm gonna raise that a little bit. I'm gonna say he has a lot of motivation and here's mm-hmm. why. You have a guy who in the offseason was clown, like you guys said. Uh, he was crying. He wants to win and, and went into the offseason out of shape, came back in shape, came back with a new shoe deal, came back as a father. All those things are going to add more motivation for Embiid to raise his level of play so that he can get to the finals. And like Lucas said, I will piggyback. He can add another MVP trophy to his mantle and I think he has a lot to prove, not only to the league, but to himself. And I think I think when he comes back, he's going to keep up that beast mode that he was in before he got hurt. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think if he doesn't win it during the regular season, I think we'll play, see something that we haven't seen since like 2001 to 2003 a dominant big man in the postseason. And I'm not talking about like Nikola Jokic dominant. I'm talking about Shaquille O'Neal dominant. Because that's yes. what that's the yes. type of season that he's having right now. Regular you. season. Yes. Regular season is prime Shaq. When Shaq was in the postseason in his prime, only Ben Wallace and Rashid Wallace combined could slow <laughs> him down to make him look like a normal superstar. Exactly. So I think it's possible that we could see I mean, and Shaquille O'Neal has said so many great things about Joel Embiid this season. I think we can see the the first time since Shaquille O'Neal, a dominant big man, take over the postseason. And the Nets don't have an answer for him. I don't think the Bucks have an answer for him because I don't think Brooke Lopez is going to do enough to, against him, to be honest. And P.J. Tucker, if they play him a backup center, that is not a good match. <laughs> Yeah, that, um, that's a little mismatch there. So, outside of those two teams in the East, I mean, what you're going to trust Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson to slow down Joel? You're going <laughs> to trust uh, a six-nine Bam Adebayo to slow down Joel? Like, there is no team in the East that has a big man 
that could theoretically slow down Joel Embiid. And, and Kevin, I have said this, there is only one coach that has figured out how to slow down Joel, and that is Nick Nurse. And mm-hmm. they're out of the playoffs right now, which makes me feel a heck of a lot better going into the postseason. If they are out of the playoffs, I really like the Sixers' chances to come out of the East, even with the Nets. But I will say this, the Nets have not had KD for a long time. Something's wrong. There, there's something more to his injury than just what it is. And if he's not back 100, the Nets, if they don't have KD going into playoffs, oh, this is the Sixers' playoffs for sure. No doubt in my mind there. Yeah, yeah we can we, we can only hope, Lucas. I <laughs> I would I would agree. So let's get to the social media question of the week. We talked about Embiid. He's definitely MVP caliber material, but every team needs a little help. And constructed right now, there are a lot of fans out there. They're saying, God, we need another piece. We need another shooter. So the question this week was very simple. It is, which shooter should the Sixers trade for before Thursday's deadline? Now, there's a lot of players rumored out there, Kevin, on the trade block. Um, but the four choices this week that we included were uh, Belitza from Sacramento, uh, George Hill from Oklahoma City, Wayne Ellington from Detroit, and Evan Fournier from the Magic. So let's start with some some uh, six or cents followers. We'll go to Twitter. And we have Demetrius Williams at DemiWill79. Demetrius thinks that we need George Hill. He said, we, we need another ball handler and defender in the backcourt so we aren't so reliant on Shake, Maxi, or Furcon. Also on that same Twitter thread, we had Harry Nicola Nidolakis. I think that's how you say the name. Sorry, but if I mispronounced it. He said Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier. He said get both. And, and a lot of people chimed in on or liked his response. If we transition over to Facebook, I found this really interesting thread, this back and forth. So Jake on Facebook, not Jake from State Farm. Jake on Facebook mm-hmm. said Fournier. And then some dude named Bob, Bob Maloney, came back at Jake and said, I like Fournier, but then do you have to give up green and you still don't have any depth? Is he an upgrade mm-hmm. to green? Yes, he is, but he's also a pending free agent. So what are we going to give up besides green for a possible rental? Now, retorting that, we had Jake come back and said, Bob, yeah, I wasn't including the potential price tag for each guy. Fournier is just the best of the group and is a guy that could be more than just a short-term thing. So let's go to Kevin. Out of those four players, which one do you think the Sixers should trade for? I would have to say Fournier would be the best in my eyes just because he's having a career year and I think he helps from a spacing aspect, but could also help you a lot in the backcourt. But if I had to choose one that I think is the most realistic, it's George Hill. This is a guy that I've been zeroed in on for a while now just because like some of those comments said, that second unit could really benefit from having a true point guard. And mm-hmm. George Hill could help take the burden off Shake Milton and allow him to embrace more of his scoring combo guard role that I think could really help his game. And we could see a little bit of the shake that we've seen earlier this season and in the past. And George Hill is also a guy that who could run with the starting lineup for a little bit. We saw last year when he was in Milwaukee, he led the league in three-point percentage with all the open space he got from playing alongside Giannis. And I think if you put him on the floor with Joel, with Ben, he would get those similar kind of looks and could be just a reliable knockdown guy that those guys could kick to when putting pressure on the rim. So George Hill at the right price, I'd have to say, is my top guy. I think Wayne Ellington would be nice too just because of how cheap Detroit is asking for and he's a guy that could slide right into that trade exception. But top guy, George Hill, Fournier is kind of a pipe dream. Bialica would be nice, but the way his three-point percentage kind of dipped this season has worried me a little bit. It's not one of those like where a guy's percentage has gone down like three to four points. There was a point he was only shooting like 25% from three, and that steep of a, that steep of a drop scares me a little bit. But I think if he came here and, and generated some better looks, he'd be a reliable shooter from outside. So I'm actually going to say Bialica. And I wrote about Fournier. And the Sixers would have his bird rights, so they could sign him to whatever number they would like as long as it doesn't hit the hard cap. Wayne Ellington and Fournier, before I get to Wayne Ellington, Fournier is a three-level scorer. 
has a little bit of playmaking skill, can kind of can somewhat create his own shot, but still is very much dependent. So he is an upgrade over Green, but the defensive liability that he brings uh, makes the deal like a little bit. I, I'm not. I would do it, but I wouldn't feel great about it unless I made a secondary move to get another wing defender. That being said, Wayne Ellington, cheap guy. You could get him in with the trade exception. You could probably give up like two or three second round picks to get him. Um, or Terrence Ferguson, because, you know, a, I, I joked about this in one of my articles or possibly on a past podcast, but Detroit's taking nothing but former first round picks from the 2017 draft and Ferguson was the first round pick in that draft. So why not reclaim him like they did with yeah. uh, Josh Jackson, Dennis Smith Jr.? I'm sure there's other players from that draft that I can't remember off the top that's of my interesting, head. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, piece you got there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, Ellington would be a fun little fit there. Uh, Hill, I honestly think other contenders are going to go for him. And I, one name that I've been hearing a lot associated with him are actually the Clippers. Hmm. So that that could be a, a buyer contender there. Bialica has been connected to the Sixers in the past. I like him as an upgrade. While he his shooting percentages have gone down, he's also had very inconsistent playing time, and they're playing him more at center this year, which I don't think is his natural role. Getting beat up on defense might uh, cause his three-point percentage to drop. Um, so I like him as an upgrade over Scott for sure, um, even though he would have to apologize to Sixers fandom for spurning us for the Kings instead back two years ago. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think if you look at the position of need – point guard is yeah there but you can get along you can get by with what you have what you i mean if unless you i don't think you make a deal for any old point guard i think you got to go for a guy that is a game changer if you upgrade that position because you can get along with what you have now what i would go for is more of a stretch four which scott is kind of barely now like he's barely that in his career like he's one foot in retirement at this point. I've said that a couple times. And Bialica still has another year or two left in you know before he really starts declining, in my opinion. So Bialica would be my guy. Yeah, I, he didn't have that great of a game last night. And I do think he addresses the need of a stretch four because, like you guys were talking about throughout the podcast, Mike Scott is not what he used to be. Although I will say, if you look at his shot now compared to last year, there's less arc on the ball. And I think that is whoever helped him with his shooting this year, or maybe I, I'm just assuming because he's shooting a better percentage this year. Last year, when he first got here, I'm thinking, why does he shoot the ball so damn high? Anyway, so Scott is, uh, I think if there's anybody that would be traded, it would probably be him uh, in terms of improvement. But I do like the points that Kevin made about George Hill, giving him some point guard minutes, having experience, being a, a very good three-point shooter. Who do you I would take lean... out of that rotation right now, then? That's that's my question. Who do you take out? Because either you got to take out Korkmaz, Matisse, or Shake. Probably uh, Korkmaz. But I would say Korkmaz's minutes are likely going to get cut down in the playoffs anyway. Yeah. So if they were yeah, to get a reliable point guard, I would say he'd eat more into Korkmaz's minutes. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. Yeah, Korkmaz, once the playoffs come around, if there's any indication that he's going to revert back to what he was against Boston, he won't even see the floor because he didn't score a single field goal last year. But I, I think you can't go wrong with Fournier because – Number one, he would no longer be able to kill the Sixers because <laughs> he <laughs> seems to kill us every time we play. But no, on a serious note, I think uh, I, I got to go George Hill. I, I have to go George Hill because what he brings to the table and, and giving some good backup point guard minutes. And Shake would just have to slide over to, to well, two guard. The, 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 I will also say about this about George Hill. He's going to be 35 next year. You really want to be paying a backup point guard that's 35, 11 million off the bench. Just uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah well, isn't, it, in mind. isn't it a team option? No, no, I don't. Well, it might be. I, I didn't see that when I was doing my uh, article on him in the past. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick and we can see. I mean, Ellington, he just snipes. I like that dude because he, he'd be, he, he kind of like is uh, Furkan because Furkan the one credit I will give to him is that he is waiting to shoot. As soon as he catches it, he shoots. Ellington is the same way. And uh, Fournier would be the same way, except I think Fournier, we'd have to give up a lot more, I think. Okay. 
So it's not a player option, but it is partially guaranteed only one point twenty seven million if um if he until January uh June thirtieth of twenty twenty one. So unless he's waived before next season, it's not going to be. It's only going to be one point, basically three million, on the salary cap. So, well, we're going to find out by Thursday this week, guys, if if mm-hmm. Daryl Morey and, and Ellen Brand are going to make a move. And with that being said, uh, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up. And hey, Kevin, we really appreciate your insight, your opinions coming on the show, giving us a time of day on this really nice Sunday. So, so thanks again. No problem, guys. I had a lot of fun. We'd love to have you back sometime for sure. Thanks for your insight. Absolutely. And where can our followers check you out uh, on, on Twitter, Kevin? Give us your handle if you can give us that real quick. So you can find me on Twitter at KevinMCC973, and then you can find all my written work at 973ESPN.com. All right, cool. Check him out, guys. He has some good stuff, and his Twitter game is pretty tight. I, I, I've been following you the past couple of weeks, and <laughs> I like I like a lot of stuff you post, man. I so, appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So on behalf of Lucas and myself and our guest Kevin, to all of our listeners, our followers out there, I just want to take this time. Spring is, is, is here. I mean, the weather's beautiful. Sixers basketball is, is alive and well. And I just want to say that we really appreciate you. And I'm not just saying that. To be part of the Sixers community, for me being a Sixers fan since the days of Dr. J, it really means a lot to us. And to get all of your feedback from social media, we look at it all. And, and we just love being part of the Sixers community. So if you're listening on Google Play or Apple iTunes, do us a favor. Give us a comment. Let us know how you feel about the podcast. Next week, we'll be back with more content. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.